Good morning. I wanted to welcome everyone, and I am so honored to have Holland Haas joining us today. Holland Haas is the country's leading expert on creating greater human connection in the digital age. As an author, Holland made global headlines with her book, Consciously Connecting, a simple process to reconnect in a disconnected world, and was quickly acknowledged for her groundbreaking ideas. Hay House recognized Holland as one of 100 global thought leaders, along with Susie Orman and Deepak Chopra. Holland has leveraged her experience to provide powerful human relationship solutions to corporations, organizations, and individuals by focusing on human behavior and neuroscience. She is a sought-after international conference speaker on powerful topics as the power of connection, breaking the barrier of bias, and how digital discipline equals happier humans. Holland is often called upon for her expertise by CNN, ABC, NBC, Fox News, and many others. Holland believes that every connection counts. Welcome, Holland. Thank you, Roxanne. It's <laughs> wonderful to be here. So I wanted to ask you, start off by asking you, we're connected more than ever before. And I feel like so many people are lonelier than ever before. So why is that? Such a great question. Yes, we, as I, as I mentioned in my book, I talk about in the 21st century, we are the most technologically connected and yet simultaneously we are the most disconnected from ourselves and each other. And that leads into exactly what you're saying is that we feel lonelier. And we need, we are, our brains are wired and built for a tribe, if you will, and, you know, common day that really breaks down to friendships, family, uh, connections with our teams at work. And we have become very siloed in the way that we live our lives and the way that we go to work. We um, are connected to technology literally around the clock. And while technology is a wonderful tool, and please, please, listeners, I don't want anyone to misunderstand and think, oh, she's not for technology. She's, she's against. I'm very pro-technology. What I am also very pro of is asking yourself, are you mastering technology or is technology mastering you? And if you have become a slave to your technology, consistently picking up your device when you're lonely, when you're sad, when you're bored, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, when things don't go your way, what you are doing is instead of working on the thread of human connection, you are working on connection to technology which cannot provide the solutions to help you bridge, again, the loneliness, sadness, frustration. So the title of your book is Consciously Connecting, a simple process to reconnect in a disconnected world. What does it mean to be consciously connecting? So what, let's break it down. Um, consciousness, to be conscious, means to be present, to be aware of one's surroundings, to be awake, 
awakened. And connection is anything that unites, joins, or links. So the uniting of one's awareness, which is so imperative, again, in this technologically driven and connected world, we really need to stop, take time, be aware of the connection to ourselves and the connection to each other. So it's almost like I feel the devices are constant, are almost crutches in a way, I guess, to constant stimulation instead of that, instead of quiet interaction with ourselves and with others. Is that right? It is correct. We no longer, and I, I, I talk about this in one of the weeks in the book, we no longer steep in silence. And there are such great gifts in our silence. There is such great creativity, the ideas that we have. Think about when we get in the shower. And for many folks now, you know, you, you go to the bathroom, most people now take their devices. Think back to a time, if there was a time for you, and I, I ask the listeners to really, really think about whether or not you've ever gone into the bathroom without your device. And a lot of this may depend on, it's a, it can be a generational thing that we're talking about here. And getting into the shower uninterrupted in that silence. And how often have we had an epiphany where we step out and we say, oh my gosh, I've been thinking about this problem for the last week and I couldn't figure it out. And oh my gosh, it's it's so easy. And then we immediately have a, a plan of attack, a plan of action. Or we've been thinking about how to move a goal forward. And suddenly we have these creative ideas and we're able to jump out and go pen to paper and, you know, bullet point very quickly. This is what silence gives us. It is a great gift that we have stepped away from again, steeping in the silence and spending time with ourselves and instead picking up devices and getting into, well, you know, I'll, I'll go buy something online, I'll go shopping, or I'll go onto social media and I'll jump into compete and compare. And we all know that compete and compare drives us further away. There's actually studies. It makes us lonelier and drives us further away from the one thing that we actually need, which is connection to another human being, which is really how you opened this by asking about, about being lonely. What is, in, in your book, what is the process for the reader? If you could walk us through it. Sure, sure. So the book's journey is about tapping into or connecting into your awareness and your presence of everyday life and, and everyday elements that I started to realize we were, as, as humanity as a whole, we were all missing. And so I divided the book into the 12 months of the year. Each month has a theme. And within that theme, there are four weekly exercises. Um, and so uh, those four weekly exercises are not about writing a bucket list of the 100 places you want to visit because we all have enough lists. It is, it is broken into, so one month is about really looking at your goals and how do you process your goals. How are you personally moving your goals forward and really tapping into 
Are the goals that you're going after your own? Very often, we get stuck in a rut of going after the goals uh, that someone else has set up for us or the goals that um, a spouse may want for us or competing with a sibling. And so it's about really looking at what you want. Another month is all about playtime. We forget as adults, we get so busy, we do forget to schedule playtime. Uh, so each of the weeks are impulsivity and spontaneity and really tapping into that. Um, another month is about really connecting to yourself and others at a very deep deep level, and, and by that I mean, uh, so let's take one of the weeks. One of the weeks, for example, is those who serve you. Uh, you think of going to the pharmacy. You think of a bank teller if you still do banking in that way. You think of a bus driver, an Uber driver. How often do we even order our pastrami where we are on our devices and uh, we don't even look up and acknowledge that there's another human being and a moment to connect in front of us? And so the idea around that week, those seven days, is about looking up because life is happening in front of you, not on a screen connecting to another human being, saying hello, and if you're already doing that, the next step is to ask someone's name. I mean, how often do we pick up, again, a prescription, pastrami, the same person over and over, and they know our name possibly, but do we know theirs? Have we made an imprint to let them know that they are important as well. And so it's about saying, hi, you know, I, I know you know my name. I pick up my prescriptions every month here. I'm Holland. What is your name? You know, oh, it's so nice to meet you. And the idea isn't about getting a new best friend or bonding at a really deep level. The idea here is that the more we live life off of our screens, connecting with other human beings, we find that thread of connection easier with other people, and we also find that thread of connection within ourselves, which has somewhat diminished with the overusage of technology. So it's really about that, that reconnection back to self and others. So that, that's a, a little bit about the, the journey of, of the book. So it's almost about, it's a combination of disconnecting, but also it sounds like in general how to live life well also, how to let life in again. How to let life in. Beautiful way to put it, Roxanne. And I kind of think, I kind of think sometimes the best of life happens when you least expect it, in those spontaneous encounters, you know, in that stranger who touches your life or smiles at you or says something that you need to hear that day, right? So I guess it's a combination of, and you're right, we're not looking, you're not looking to have a deep bonding relationship with the person who serves you pastrami <laughs> necessarily <laughs> that day, right? I mean, sometimes that happens, but maybe not that day. But still, you may, there might be a reason that person is in front of you today. You may touch in some way their life in, in a brief moment and they might touch yours, right? So I think... I think what you're saying is all of these are great tips. It's part disconnecting and part tips for how we interact in general and giving ourselves space and 
and being present. Yeah, and and as you talk about the spontaneous encounters, think of how often we walk in a city. So I live uh, in half the time in Washington D.C. and half the time in New York City. So they're both great walking cities. And how often are we in a walking city where we are on a device and we we don't even realize if we've turned on a different street, we're not even looking up and recognizing what is around us because sometimes, you know, you see a sign, you see a storefront, you see something that in your brain connects you in a really different way. And again, you solve a problem that you've been ruminating on. You suddenly become creative for a presentation and get a, get a whole different idea. Or you are inspired to do something new and different or maybe take a class, which would never have happened if you weren't, again, a spontaneous encounter of of walking on a different street, or even those of you who live in cities who are, who are listening today who drive everywhere, I encourage you, and I kind of talk about this in the book as well, it's like take a different route. You know, take a completely different path, a different route, and see what happens, what that feels like for you. Are there different sounds? Uh, what is that on a sensory uh, level, and what is that then do for you as a human being? How does that open you up? And, and it's really fascinating, some of the emails I receive, again, from these spontaneous and different encounters. Also, sometimes just taking a different path, you discover little, um, you know, little places that you wouldn't have known about. Like where I live, there's a farmer's market by me that to me is like a gem of a farmer's market. It's like a gift to the community. But yeah. it's off the beaten path and it, you wouldn't even know it's there unless you were, unless you hear about it or you kind of explore a little bit. You know, so sometimes you find little gifts that could, uh, that are kind of like, they can make each day a little special. Like now I go in there for flavored coffee every day. <laughs> right? And how lovely um, to support your local community in that way. Yeah. So I know all of this, and I believe all of this, and I agree mm-hmm. with all of this. Okay. And yet <laughs> I have a demanding, real, pretty demanding job. People are always needing something or wanting something from me. And like, every, like most people, I feel naked if I don't have my cell phone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I say to myself, just put it away for 15 minutes or a half hour. I also have a nine-year-old daughter, and so much of me, I, every day I want some special moments with her. So every day I try to do something special with her, whether it's just uh, an art project or whether it's going to Starbucks and just sitting and talking. And so I try my best to set aside that special time. Inevitably, I do get interrupted sometimes by the phone, And also, I feel like checking my phone is just a habit. It's like, it's if I don't check it within 10 or 15 minutes, I feel this like anxiousness. You know, I wonder if this person called back. I wonder what they said about this. You know, all these thoughts are floating behind my mind, in the back of my mind. And I'm, did I miss anything? Does 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 that person still need me? Is that fire put out yet? You know, so. 
I feel it is so habitual. And to me, it's gotten to a point where it's hard to break that habit. I don't know if I ever anymore go out without my cell phone, even to walk the dog. And I hate it, and I do it. So what, could you talk about digital detox for people who don't know what it is, maybe explain what it is, and then how could we, how do you start knowing all this? How do you start training yourself that it's okay to put it down a little while? It's okay if that waits an extra 15 minutes and, you know, you go for a walk with a dog and your daughter without the phone. And it's a, yeah. I, I really do feel like it's a habit like anything else at this point. These are great questions, and I'm sure that all of your listeners are wrestling with these same questions because I, I am asked all the time at workshops and conferences, these exact set of questions. And FOMO is very real. We all believe that we are, you know, fear of missing out. We all believe we're going to miss something. And it is a habit. And what we know from the neuroscience perspective is that those who have created social media and those, you know, with your, the pop-ups and the shopping and the colors, that AI now is so in tuned to you personally, they know your favorite color, so they know specifically how to target you. They know if you were looking for red shoes and then they give you more red shoes as pop-ups. They, it is, it is so wrong to invade our preferences and our brains and to use our time when we are scrolling and trolling online, although this is what has happened. Okay, and, so wait, let me just interrupt yeah. you one second. What mm-hmm. is AI? What, what so is, AI is the, yeah. is the artificial intelligence. And oh. we are moving towards certain jobs being phased out where artificial intelligence, which um, will be able to do a quicker and what is believed a more efficient job than human beings. And some of this is in marketing and design. And so the artificial intelligence that is behind the, the, the curtain of Oz, if you will, knows that Roxanne, so if you, for example, are scrolling through your Instagram page, let, let's use that as an example, and you're scrolling at a certain pace, and then suddenly you slow down around um, some sort of pop-up, paid advertisement, or someone has something on their feed that has a brown background, has dinosaurs, and has the word fast. What you are now going to see more of in your feed are things that have the color brown, the back, background of brown. You're going to see more oh dinosaurs. And you're, and you're going to wonder and go, why do I keep seeing dinosaurs in my feed? I don't even like oh my it. God. And it could so it's have more been. than we know. Yeah, it's more than we yeah. know about ourselves, right? Yes. Well, and what, what it could have been is that you were scrolling and you had a moment, uh, you know, a split second where you went, wait a second, did I just see a dinosaur in my feed? No, I couldn't have. You backed up, you took a second, you were like, yep, that's what it was. And that quickly, you kept scrolling. No interest in it, but AI, the artificial intelligence that is monitoring all of us on, on the World Wide Web and social media, knows that you 
they, they feel, well, she likes brown, she likes dinosaurs, and the word fast. So you're going to see fast, fast, fast for this, and do this fast, and, you, and you're going to see more brown, and you're going to wonder, I don't even like brown. Why do I keep getting all this brown stuff? Well, AI has kind of programmed, and until it reprograms based on your behavior of your scrolling, that's not going to, that target won't change. So that's, that's the first thing. And, and, and it happens also, you know, I can go online and I can shop for a dress for an event. I can look at something on different websites, and then I'll go sign on, and I'll look at, I'll be reading an article online, and over on the right-hand side of the page, there'll be, you know, if I was looking at blue dresses, there will be all these different blue dresses from all these different manufacturers. And, I'm, and it's because they're watching us. And so that's, that's the first piece of it. What then happens is those in Silicon Valley have hired uh, behavioral and clinical psychologists to help them understand the brain help them understand the neuroscience of human beings and how we get dopamine hits. Dopamine hits feel good. Dopamine hits happen when you drink, when you gamble, when you have sex, when you eat, when you have great conversations with someone and you love, love, love seeing that person and you can't wait and your brain lights up and you get a dopamine hit. Well, what we also know is that when we scroll and when we troll, we will get dopamine hits. We will also get dopamine hits because our brain loves what is unexpected. Our brain loves to be surprised. And what happens every time you go to your inbox? You might get surprised with the email that you're waiting for. You might get that, that ne- I might get that next speaker contract I've been waiting for. I may not, but I know eventually there'll be one at some time, so my brain keeps going back for more. And when you go to that inbox, as we know, one thing leads to another. And we mm-hmm. stay on this, this trail, this habit of continuing to look, 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 because we know we'll eventually be rewarded in our brain. So that's what keeps reinforcing the habit. In order to break a habit, we have to replace one way of doing things with doing something else. So what I often suggest for baby steps is that if you're taking your dog out for a 10-minute walk, is that when you take your dog out, is it 10 minutes, 15 minutes? How how long do you take the dog out for? Uh, Yeah, on average, I'd say. Okay. So... What really can happen that you can really make a difference or an impact within your business and your life within those 10 minutes that you have to be connected? What, I mean, is the president reaching out to you for, for you know, to, if we go to like DEFCON 3 or something? Are you, <laughs> is, is, I mean, are you that important? You could be that important, and I just don't know that side of your life. You know, is the, is the head of the FBI, or, you know, are you two in contact daily with, you know, secret missions and, like, what, what, what's really <laughs> happening, Roxanne? <laughs> I guess it's more personally important. You know, success at work, something that I've been working for, for work coming through, not coming through. And it's not always that. It's not always the biggest thing. It's not, you know, sometimes it really doesn't matter. There's nothing pending that much that day. So, so, if, so if nothing is pending, 
and you start to set yourself up in a different way to change the habit. So knowing that you are waiting for something positive from work, it really doesn't matter if you get that on the walk on the eighth minute or if you get it the 11th minute when you walk in the door, right? Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, right. it doesn't really matter. Does it really, it, you know, is it so no. time sensitive to celebrate? It's not. So starting to look and realize and, and starting to feel how we are using technology allows us to start shifting in a way that we can start making better choices. Now you're outside, you're enjoying nature, you're decreasing your cortisol because when we're out in nature and we take a walk, our uh, stress levels, which is our cortisol, decrease and our oxytocin, which is a positive brain chemical, that increases, which now stimulates creativity, better time management. We feel like, okay, I'm refreshed. I'm ready to go in for the, you know, the rest of the afternoon or the rest of the morning, and I'm ready to tackle what's still on my desk. And we are missing those opportunities, just like we, we talked about with steeping in the silence. We're missing these opportunities to, again, be connected to ourselves, to re- reset and reprocess the way we're going to go about the rest of our day. We're missing these opportunities because we go outside, we have the opportunity to connect with nature, to connect with an animal. Both of those bring our stress level down. And instead of really doing that, instead we make the choice to take our devices and be connected. So, we're, so again, we're missing the opportunity in the same way we're missing the opportunity to connect to silence in our shower when we take our device in the bathroom with us. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So that's, a digital detox, yeah, go ahead. No, that's such great advice. And just to back up for your, for your listeners, a digital detox, for those of you who hear the phrase and you're not really clear on it, when you do a digital detox, it's a prolonged period of time that you do not use any device. And so there are digital detox weekends. There are some folks who do digital detox weeks where they pay you know, a lot of money and they go away and they do a retreat. And that, for most of us, that's not really Uh, We don't have an opportunity to do that. So what I am am adamant about and the way I'm really working to impact the world is to share the tips and techniques with people who can't afford to do a full-blown one-week or three-day digital detox, um, and they want to be able to garner the same benefits by baby steps in their lives, setting up boundaries and parameters around technology. And so this is what I speak about a lot at conferences and within corporations. And and then what's really happened is a lot of families have reached out. And I I have a a program as well for for either the individual or for families who want to be a little less connected and married to being on their technology all the time. And they want to be more aware of really uniting with other aspects of their life, their relationship, their creativity, productivity, and and kind of tapping back into their humanity. So there's definitely a way to do this that uh, can be 
baby baby steps and and one of those baby steps is leaving your device behind and if that feels too scary because you feel like there could be another 9-11 and I definitely understand for a lot of folks there is that fear go ahead and take your device with you when you walk your dog and put it on airplane mode so if something happens that you feel or is catastrophic and you, you it's just too stressful right now to leave your phone behind, go ahead and take your phone with you, put it on airplane mode, and then head outside, commune and connect with nature, your dog, have that 10 or 15 minutes, and then go back inside and reconnect to what needs to be done. And I promise you, your brain, you're going to you're going to arrive back at your desk after that 10 or 15 minutes and it is going to be like you just woke up in the morning and you're totally refreshed. You are going to feel a huge pivot because, again, you're decreasing your stress levels and you're increasing all the good brain hormones that that we all need. Brain chemicals, I should say. Thank you so much for that. This is so this is so important to hear and so great to hear. I have one other area I want to ask you about, and that is sure. parenting. So parenting, my daughter's nine, and I keep wondering what life is going to be like as a teenager these days with all this technology. And when I talk to other parents, they all say the same answer that it's it really is negative especially for teenagers there's everyone's life looks better uh you know so it causes in feelings of insecurity there's peer pressure it just kind of changes the game can you talk about technology and parenting and what parents could do to both limit help limit their kids time online and also help deal emotionally with whatever, you know, what, what technology brings forward these days for kids and teens. So I speak, at a, again, to a lot of parents on this issue, a lot of different, different schools, uh, where it's really about making the choice for your family when your child should receive a cell phone. And more and more parents are really starting to push towards the teenage years and, and really walking away from these, you know, nine-year-olds and seven-year-olds and 10-year-olds having phones. To share with you and your, your listeners, those in Silicon Valley, um, let's talk about Bill Gates. I mean, right? We all know who Bill and Melinda Gates are. Um, Melinda Gates, not too long ago, talked about uh, they gave a cell phone to their first child at 14, and if she could do it all over again, she would have even waited. So when we think about those in Silicon Valley who have created all these really cool, you know, technological tools that we use and then give our children, those in Silicon Valley do not have iPads in their home. They don't give their children phones at these young ages. Their schools are very limited on technological usage. And so it is a, a misconception that our children will be behind the curve if they don't have all of this stuff that they're on all the time and all of the access. 
And as a matter of fact, they will be behind the curve if they cannot relate human to human. Because of artificial intelligence and because of certain industries where it will really impact, more than ever, LinkedIn has talked about this, uh, Forbes has, has talked about this, that social skills, that the soft skills that we've taken for granted for so long are becoming more and more and more valuable. Really understanding you know, people's emotions and being able to tap into that in both schools and a workplace. And so what I like to share with parents is to start thinking, first of all, what's going to work for your family uh, as far as an age range for giving your child a cell phone? There's a group of parents, I believe, I believe it's California, but don't quote me on that, where they have all come together and decided that their, their kids are not going to have cell phones in the elementary school that they've picked an age, and I want to say it's 12 or 14. Again, don't, this is just recent in the last week or two. Don't, don't quote me on that, but something around that age range. And they've kind of banded and bonded together as a community, which I think is, is a beautiful way to support one another. So consider doing that maybe within your school district. Uh, within your community, your church, your synagogue, how, whatever that may look like for you. See if there's, there's a way to, to do that. Um, the second piece of this is once your child does get that device, you as a parent need to be very, very clear in what the parameters and the boundaries are. And children will test you because this is addictive to the brain, because those dopamine hits are addictive. And they will test you like they test you in every other way. It's their job to test us, right? It's, that's, that's what they're here for. And so you've got to be very clear. And the first time they cross those boundaries, you take the device away as promised. And so whether or not you allow them to have social media accounts, you have to decide. You, you definitely need to be um, having all the controls, the parental controls around social media and emails and, and their logins. You, you definitely need to be aware because, of course, there are predators that are looking for vulnerable children. And as a parent, it is your job to protect your children and not say, oh, my child is a good child, has nothing to do with that. Your child's brain is not fully developed. Therefore, they don't understand boundaries that an adult can push them into that can get them into trouble. So it's your job to protect them, and I cannot stress that enough. And mirroring and mimicking. Let's talk a little about mirroring and mimicking. Our children mirror and mimic our behaviors. So if we are at the table saying no devices, during dinner time, it is a time that the family connects through conversation. You cannot have your device at the table. It doesn't work. Your child will then have their device at the table. And it's, you know, it's very difficult to really create those boundaries when you yourself are not following the same rules. So as a parent, if mealtime and, it, and by the way, mealtime should be a time with no devices. There is something called the iPhone effect, that anytime there is a device on the table when we come together. So 
even when you meet girlfriends for coffee, when you meet a client for lunch, when you're with your, your family at the end of the day, anytime there is a device on the table, we know for a fact that our conversations are less intimate, that there is less bonding, and there is less trust. So we're not going to get to the nitty-gritty of what's bothering our kids and what they need from us if we've got devices on the table. So remove the devices. That's probably, I think, if everyone listening today could make that commitment to try it for seven days to remove the devices from any table where you are connecting and communing over coffee, wine, a meal, whatever that is, with whomever that looks like, if you could make that tiny change and commit to that. And by the way, for those of you that are panicking, and I know there are many right now going, wait a minute, at my meetings, at my coffees, what I do in meetings is I say, hey, this is going to be tech-free. I'm going to put my device away. I mean, I can't for someone else. And that people will look at me and they're like, what? Don't you? And I'm like, well, no, no. I'm going to put it on airplane mode. I'm going to put my device away for our meeting because I'm here for you and I really want to pay attention to what your needs are so we can really connect. And then in about 30 minutes, let's agree to have a tech break. We can kind of, you can check in at the office. I'm going to check in with my team. We'll see if, you know, any, anything important happened. And then, you know, five minutes later or so, we can kind of wrap up and finish the meeting. Does that sound good? And I will tell you, I get 99% buy-in on that, where people will say, like, this is the coolest idea. Like, did you, did you make this up? Like, how, like, wait a minute, what's happening? And then I'll get to explain a little bit about the brain, why this is so important. And then suddenly someone is saying, can you come into my company and work with my team? Can you come in and, you know, speak at my school? Or can you work with my family? Or so again, this is a really easy way where we can get people to buy in and this is a shift in behavior. Because when we are in a deep conversation with someone, when we are truly listening, which we don't do 100% with a device on the table, because we're always thinking about what we're missing, fear of missing out, FOMO, we really can impact our, our time with our clients. And we can really be great listeners for our friends and family. And we really can impact and change the world in the way that each of us are, are, are trying to impact and, and, and change the lives around us. Holland, thank you so much for all this. Can you tell us where to find your book and also where to find you and how to connect with you, whether yes. people want to work with you as a family or people want to work with you professionally? Yes, thank you. So you can reach me at my, you can take a look at my website, which is hollandhoff.com. My name's a little complicated, so I will spell it for all of you. It is Holland, just like the country, H-O-L-L-A-N-D. And my last name is Hoff, H-A-I-I-S, like Sam. So that's double L's in Holland, double I's in Hoff. So hollandhoff.com is my website. If you want to shoot an email over to me, it's holland at hollandhoff.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you loved about this podcast today and the amazing work that Roxanne's doing. So please give a shout out. And for those of you who would like to 
call and speak to me directly. I love phone calls. I'm all about human connection. So I share my number for a reason. Use it. Call me. Reach out. My number is 917-886-1811, and I would love the opportunity to serve you, your community, your, your business in any way that I can. So thank you for your time today. Holland, thank you, and thank you for everyone who joined us. I hope that you found this podcast as amazing as I did, and I can't wait to implement some of this into my own life. So I'll be in touch to let you know how that goes. (laughs) I love that. And the book, you can get it at Amazon.com. You can get it from my website. You can go to Barnes & Noble. Uh, It's it's in all those those places. So I hope you pick up a copy. All right. Thank you. Could you say the title one more time? Yes, the book is book. Consciously, Consciously Connecting, A Simple Process to Reconnect in a Disconnected World. I look forward to hearing from you after you all read the book. Thank you. Thank you, Holland. Have a great day. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. <laughs>